art is experimentation. And in that way, you know, it, it's it's conscious experimentation, I guess. But also you can do it without being like conscious of what you're doing. I don't think that artists have to be fully conscious of what they're doing or why. Um, you know, flow state looks flow state takes a lot of different forms and that's and flow state's almost like acting outside of your mind um so like i don't think the conscious thought necessarily needs to be there and and so like as an artist what we're doing from day one is we're just trying things you just think of it as experimentation and like taking shots at goal and you know throwing darts throwing spaghetti at the wall see what sticks then you kind of remove yourself and your own like your own connection your own ego from from the process and you get out of the way and you just act like a child and if you just experiment a lot eventually you're gonna like find that little fractal branch that's gonna be you Welcome to the Art and Life Podcast with your host, Taylor Gallegos. Art exists all around us, in all directions, from all walks of life. We just need to know how to see it. The Art and Life Podcast is an experiment in an audio format that focuses on the art and philosophy involved with different people and their life paths. This experiment is intended to inspire you in your creative pursuits, whatever they may be. Follow along as I interview movers and shakers from all walks of life. It's possible to make a life from your art, skill, craft, or vision. These interviews showcase that fact. Listen while you work. Listen while you create. Listen while you dream up the next big breakthrough. First off, I want to say thank you for listening. The people being interviewed and I are two parts of the podcast, but it wouldn't be complete without you, the listener. I very much appreciate your attention and your energy, and I hope you get as much out of this as I do. If you enjoy what you hear, you can join me on this artistic journey in many ways. You can subscribe to the show, leave a review, share it around. You can join the conversation on the Art and Life Facebook group where you get notified of fresh episode drops. You can join my email list on my website at taylorgallegosart.com, the contact page. You can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at taylorgallegosart. And finally, you can support me on Patreon. So again, a deep and sincere thank you for being here. I appreciate it. Now, on to the good stuff. Welcome, everybody, to the podcast. I'm your guest host, Ryan Stover. And with me today is one of the most inspiring people I have ever met, a towering powerhouse of creativity and humanity, Taylor Gallegos. Thanks for being on the show. <laughs> Ryan, thanks, man. Thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
It is really cool to be in a reversed situation. Have, so you've been on the other side of the microphone before. You had a guest. <clears throat> guest host. Guest, guest host at the end of the last season. Yeah, we did that the last two seasons. Um, and my buddy Ben uh, Morse was doing it. And he had a podcast that he was he was doing a lot of work on at that time. And I, um, yeah, I reached out to him about it, about this one, doing it again, but he hasn't been doing any podcasts this year. And I thought, uh, you know, you've been doing your thing quite a bit and we've been working together directly on a lot of art stuff this year. So I thought you'd be an awesome, awesome choice. Awesome. Well, yeah, I cannot express what an honor it is to be here and to be pointing the camera at you or the microphone at you. So I will do my best to embody the the Taylor host that we all know and love. <laughs> you want to dive in? Let's do it. Cool, man. So yeah, you know, the show starts with the question, what are you most passionate about these days? <laughs> man, this is fun. <laughs> <laughs> this is fun. And uh, I got to say, I'm like, really jazzed uh mm. almost like I was almost feeling like nerves you know like an excitedness like almost like nervousness like in the last five minutes leading up to this um yeah I mean the podcast is one thing I'm very passionate about and excited about and um like I was just telling you I just got the the little Spotify wrapped um, you know, end of the year um, numbers and info, and there's a ton of growth and it's going well and people are saying nice things about it. And, um, and it's cool, like the art form, uh, the format, the everything. I feel like over the last three seasons, three years, it's been like enough time to really develop it. And it's starting to really take shape. And um, I'm feeling into the flow. And uh yeah. Yeah, the podcast is definitely, definitely a big. That's path. awesome. Yeah, I was looking and by my calculations, will this be episode 100? Yeah. Yeah, that's some cool synchronicity. Yeah. And I, I've, you know, in preparation for this, I've been going back and just listening to some past ones from way back and more recent. And it is cool to see how much it's evolved, uh, you know, going back to that very first interview with Adam. And um, yeah, you've had so many people on the show. And you can see the growth where before, um, or, you know, throughout, it's been a lot of people that you know really well. And it's it's also cool to see the people that are reaching out to you to be on the pod. So, you know, after 100 episodes, what what are some of the big surprises or highlights? What do you see when you look back over 100 episodes? Um, <clears throat> some surprises? Um, well... Well, some highlights have been like some of the the special, like the, the some of the big number guests have been really fun. I'll just say that there's been some people who've had like, uh, you know, they have a big impactful like following and like um, supporters. And it's interesting to see the numbers on on those interviews. Um, but then also the surprises are the like these beautiful little gems of like sweetness and amazingness and profoundness and like um <clears throat> and depth and beauty and uh consciousness and all these things that and you find those everywhere you know every podcast has some like really amazing stuff to it um yeah yeah and then 
I forget what the other thing you were asking. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. And yeah, listening back, you can definitely hear those moments when people are sharing vulnerably and that kind of that realness that you get to. And I love how much the podcast is an expression of you. And even the the title Art and Life, those are, you know, two things, but you have found ways to combine those so seamlessly that just being around you is also being in conversation with all of these beautiful, amazing people. So I really appreciate that this is a show where you're you're not just talking about art. It's not just about the process or the the you know end product. It's really about the act itself and how that infuses into our lives. I'm curious, what when was the the moment that you were inspired to start the podcast and maybe even choose that title? <clears throat> Man, good question. Um, well, it was in two, in 2020. Well, I was inspired by uh, The School of Greatness. Uh, that's a podcast by Lewis Howes. And I actually, so I, I've had, I, I had side jobs throughout my artistic career. I got a degree in art, um, but I needed side jobs to help pay the bills all the way along. And I, and I went all in with trying to make it as an artist, um, three separate times before the last time that I actually did it, where it's like worked completely, um, as of now. And like the last side job I had was a job doing construction. Um, and that was a great, like, that was a great job. And one of the biggest like perks was that I was allowed to have an earbud in my ear. And so like for 40 hours a week, I was just digesting podcasts and books and audiobooks. And I was just like absorbed. Like I was listening to like self-help stuff, um, you know, like create like business design business, like so much shit about business, how to make things work as a small business entrepreneur, inspirational stuff like that. And it was super helpful. Like, you know, I'm like pounding nails and doing demo in these hospital rooms. And all the while I'm just like learning. I felt like it was like time when I got to, to like, that was like my graduate program. And, um, Lewis House's podcast was like a major influence. And you can see it. If you listen to one of those, the school of greatness, you'll hear that part one of this podcast is like that but adjusted and shifted to art and creativity and then done with like my little twist. And then, um, yeah, so like that was that. And in and, and listening to it all the time, I was like, man, I think I could do this. I think that, you know, like, like the conversations that I have around me with people all the time, these like amazing minds and creative forces that are the people that I get to interact with. Like we could put together a badass podcast that would be inspirational and like, and I was looking around for art podcasts and anything to do with art. And I found some, but a lot of them felt dry to me and kind of like one dimensional, like people talking, like art people talking to art people about their process. And it was like too much in the weeds. Whereas, and like Lewis Howes interviews people from all different genres on the topic of greatness, because you can be great in anything. And so like in that same framework, I was like, oh, creativity and art would work in the same way. 
Yeah. And I love how you've selected guests that aren't like classically artists a lot of the times. And it shows how there is artfulness in all kinds of professions. And sometimes the really amazing insights and advice can come from people that might not be in the same field that you're focused on. And it might be the, the unblocker or, yeah. So I, I really appreciate that kind of how you live your life is to surround yourself with different types of people and just absorbing this information. And it's cool because I think um, for a lot of people, you are an example of someone who relentlessly pursues these really cool endeavors. And you're so prolific with your creativity, uh, whether you're putting art on walls or you're somehow finding time to make all these podcasts. So it's also refreshing that you're, um, yeah, in these in these conversations, just exploring that process and the insecurities and the shortcomings and and that whole side of things as well. Uh, it's cool to hear that you tried to be a professional artist multiple times before it really stuck. And I guess, you know, at this point, now that you are um, rather successful with your with your art career as it is and the podcast, you know, 100 episodes, can you point to some specific mindsets or things that were unblockers for you that maybe made it all gel and take you to that place where you're making the things that you want to make. Yeah. Yeah. Another great question, Ryan. Well done. Um, I feel like the, uh, like a major thing that needed to happen was I needed to find like a source of income, like a flow that worked. And, um, and like the murals, has really has really done that for me and and there's and as an artist as a muralist as a as a painter there's so many different avenues that you can go i know artists that are making it in um you know like in all different little fields like there's just like yeah there, there's galleries there's street fairs there's art fairs there's you know online stuff there's people there's so many different ways to make it and as an artist you just have to find your lane and your niche that works and uh, I've always had in terms of painting and drawing I've had a pretty diverse skill set and that now as a muralist is a major strength but before it was actually sort of a setback because like I didn't I wasn't making like one coherent body of work that would sit in a gallery I was all across the board and I was like making custom paintings for people. And, and that was great, but I never ended up building like a, a portfolio that any one gallery could really like latch onto. Um, so, so yeah, like finding, finding the way to do that. Um, and, and I have to give just a huge amount of credit, huge amount of credit to my dear friend, Anna Parker, because um, she took me under her wing as a muralist and, um, and I worked for her for like a, at least a year, maybe two years as her assistant. And, um, you know, she taught me what, not only like the, the technical skills of making murals specifically, but also 
um, like interaction with clients and as a muralist and like all these different things and and really just like showed me she taught me how to fish you know like (laughs) and so that was that was just a major help and then she moved to Georgia and at that point um, that was when I stepped in on my own was it a really natural transition to murals or did you have any reluctance because you were thinking of your art in a certain way and now you were having to I don't know focus was that hard um no actually it was like full it was like so natural um Mm -hmm. like fish to water I've always loved painting big you know and so canvases I would always be working on like four foot by three foot canvases and like feeling like I could use more room and um and when I was in Colorado I did some murals um but but I didn't really see that it was I like I, I didn't see how much was there uh, I like scratched the surface and was like, this is cool. But I worked, I did mural projects for some companies that weren't really, uh, they were good. I, I think what the problem was, was I didn't, I didn't know how to get more and more business out of that. I didn't, and I wasn't thinking like a business person. And that was part of what working with Anna really showed me was the, you know, the, the flow of business, how to get more clients, how to market yourself, how to you know, like where, where the stream of, of projects was coming from. Mm. Yeah. You said to me once uh, recently, which is still in my mind, I'm actually, as I glance over, I see this like huge canvas, which is probably like five times bigger than anything I've ever painted on. And you said, expand your canvas and your art will expand. And that was pretty cool. And it's been cool to see your art expand as well, because I've seen a lot of your smaller things and it's funny because I when I think about your art I also remember that back in the day you would just paint on like whatever material you could find so you know plywood or I mean clothing just like everything had paint on it shit that was just sitting in an alleyway yeah I I had I commissioned you you to paint uh, Eddie Vedder for for my friend once right and and you and you painted it on the rear windshield of a car like the back windshield of a car (laughs) so yeah, I think it's a natural uh, evolution that you'd go from windshields to the, the big <laughs> walls of corporate offices. So with, um, you know, you said that you're most interested in the podcast currently, which I could see this being the 100th episode. I guess that's one thing. Yeah. Sure, yeah. So uh, it's fun to hear you talk, though, because, um, you know, I think you have a lot of proficiency in the actual craft of painting itself. And now you're also learning a lot about business and what you're talking about is a lot of you know basic business principles and niching down so how have those two interplayed for you just the art side and the business side was there conflict initially um how how do those two go together oh my god yes there was conflict initially and it's kind of ironic because uh when i went to college at csu that first semester I was made, I had a double major and one was in art and one was in business and just <laughs> personality. That, I know. And I thought the business classes were super dry and I was like, this isn't what I want to do. And looking back, I really kind of wish that I would have done it. Cause then it were helped from the beginning. I've had to um, just like expand my understanding of, the business world I there were a lot of like bar- like barriers in my mind that were sort of there like um you know and like uh 
sort of thing like paradigms that are placed or expectations that are placed on you as an artist of like so many people just everyone just tells you like oh artists don't know business and so then if you listen to that um and you absorb it then you believe it and and uh now that i've like put my focus towards like making this work as a like i'm a small business as an artist you are a small business an independent artist you're a small business so um i've had to learn that and along the way i've learned what i don't need to focus on what i can hire for um i've got a kick-ass team um there's amy alcorn who's my business manager uh who's been with me for over a year now and she's a fucking ace like uh i you know i've been watching the world cup a bunch right now and and i just feel like i just had the the realization today that like amy is like like hiring or like bringing on like a striker who's just like waiting to get the ball and turn and shoot goals like she's helping move the move the ball forward in all these different ways on like finding new clients um tightening things up like the new website looks great she did all of it she you know like um she has taken my whole situation with like taxes and bookkeeping and just like whipped it into shape Mm. and you know like I always used to hate taxes and used to get like hit with these like random tax payments because I wasn't on my shit and now it's like we're ahead of the ball and everything's done quarterly and we're just so dialed in and then um, Delia is our executive assistant and she does all the minutiae of the bookkeeping. She does all the invoicing. She's reaching out to clients and doing this stuff and any sort of little tasks um, she is handling. So, and we have a weekly meeting that we go into, which we're going to have to take a break from this podcast for. Um, but like we connect every week and see like who's got what to do and what's going to happen. And we're communicating on um, Slack and Asana all the time. And um you know, we, we've turned this whole thing into like a really fine-tuned, fine-tuned business. And, and Lara Austin, who was my business manager before Amy, she really helped me get from like ground zero to get the ball rolling. And then she, she wanted to go and do her own thing and become a doula. Um, and so, you know, gave her, her, that blessing. She's killing it now. And, um, but like before her, I felt like, I felt like my wheels were spinning and I didn't know what to do. Like, you know, like as hard as I'm like, I don't know what to do, what to make, how to make this whole thing work, how to make it as an artist. I like, I I couldn't put it all together. I knew how to paint. There was that. And um, I even was like getting, getting those um, mural jobs, but still it was like, it, it like wasn't quite enough to make the whole equation work. And like, I felt like, you know, I would like, put a lot of energy into one direction, but then nothing would happen. And I, so I was like, it just felt like I was in a boat with one oar. And um, with Lara, she gave me the other oar and started moving and then uh, switched out to Amy and we put a fucking jet pack on the back of the boat. <laughs> That's cool, man. I, <laughs> yeah, I love here it. we are. <laughs> yeah. It's really cool because I've been seeing a lot of your work on Instagram and it's it's amazing the the quality that you're producing and the scale and the different clients. And it's also really, I think, I don't know, it makes me feel good to know that there's a team doing that, you know, like you, you're 
you're creating that creativity, but it's also Amy and, and the others that are un- enabling that to appear in the world. So I think that's probably true of a lot of art where you see the the finished piece and you credit the artist. And I bet a lot of times there's a whole bunch of humans that allowed that beautiful thing to come into existence. And it's fun to hear you talk because, um, you know, when you were out here uh, over the, I think it was in the spring and um, you gave me a lot of really good advice that helped unblock me and just get painting, get creating. Um, but I'm, I feel as I listen to you, like I just recognize that I'm several steps back. And when you listen to podcasts or you read books, there's this effect where you often are taking advice from someone who's like one or two steps ahead. And so it's hard to see how that applies. Um, But I want to ask, like, if you, if you look back at where you were, were there things that you could have, should have done differently? or, Or do you think it is that synchronicity and just, you know, showing up each day and making your art? And then the universe starts bringing you these other people on your team. Uh, you know, is there a way to, to, to jump ahead in that process? Or how do you see that for, you know, the, the aspiring artist who might be um, working on their, their art, but also needing to bring in these other elements that it takes a village? Um, I think that you... Well, it's funny because this kind of goes into the the advice question. (laughs) (laughs) But I think, yeah, there's definitely things that you can do to, to, like, advance the whole thing. And um, I guess my advice to aspiring creatives, we can just rock it out now, uh, is, like, find a balance in your life uh my advice to aspiring creatives is handle your shit financially like figure that out so that you don't have pressure on your creative art and then over and look at yourself as like like over time like it hope you know year one you're paying your bills some other way year two maybe 25 percent of your income is coming from your art year three, 50%, year four, 75, you know, like that sort of a progression, because uh, what I did, I tried to go all in with art many, you know, those three times that didn't work. And it was because like, what didn't work was that I had this job, let's say I was a bartender and I was making my money and then I would sell paint. I'd like hang art at the, at the bar. And then I'd sell paintings because I was at the bar talking to people And I got to know people and built these relationships and selling more and more art. And I was like, oh man, I think I could like, you know, the the bar's bringing in this much money and I'm selling this much art. Like, I think the art can just make it. But then I went all in with it. And then the, the money from the bar, the consistent money, I didn't take that into account. Like art sales are really just not consistent until you figure out the stream that can help it be consistent. So uh, you really need to have some way to, to make your income consistent because um, otherwise, like, you know, leave the leave the bar, start trying to sell paintings. And then I exhaust all of my potential sales to like friends and family. But my overall marketing was not big enough so that I could like reach outside and my whole, my whole flow wasn't big enough. So I exhausted everything near me. And then I was just like, 
I had no oars at that point and just a, just a sitting duck. And so then a month goes by, you know, savings dries up and then boom, you know, you need, I needed another job. And like that exact same thing happened multiple times. And um, so, yeah, I mean, like an honest look at your finances and it's, and it's interesting because like a budget doesn't really work. Like a traditional budget doesn't really work as a creative artist as well as an independent artist, because you don't have a salary. You don't have a consistent amount of money coming in. So it's not like you can be like, cool, I have $3,000 coming in. So then I'm going to budget this for rent, this for that, this for that, blah, blah, blah. You're like, I'm working, like, I'm hoping that this comes in, but I don't know what it, where it will. So what I had to like learn was how to reverse engineer my expenses. And so I'd look at all my expenses. And I'm like, okay, this costs this, this costs that, blah, blah, blah. So per month, I need to clear $3,000 a month, you know, rather than looking at it. But it's like a backwards equation from what other people have. So there, there, you're like, great, I need to clear this much amount. How am I going to do that? And that's where the, the projection into the future comes into play. So year one, okay, I'm going to get a job that pays me $3,000 a month. Uh, or X number, whatever it is. And then uh, in my off time, that's when I'm going to make my art with zero pressure on your creativity to turn into money right away. Like it's like planting a farm. Like you can't expect your seeds to just like bear fruit immediately. It doesn't work like that. So you need to like really develop your plots and like have your have your crops you know growing over time and be protected uh and develop because otherwise like uh it that pressure can just like squash your creativity and like uh and and i feel like collectors and people that are that want to support you they can just it's like nobody wants to buy desperation they want to buy growth they want to buy inspiration. They want to buy love, connection, beauty, feeling like uh, vulnerability, all these things. And none of those things can happen naturally when there's like the pressure of paying rent on that, at least not at first. Like once you get it going then like, you know, and the whole thing gets more mature and more developed, then like, yeah, bring on the pressure because because the flow is happening. So then it's not a, as big of a problem. But yeah, the financial piece is so crucial to making it as an artist. And I think that that's why, like, when I see some of my friends from college who I was in art school with, they tell me that how, like, proud of me that they are, that I'm making it as an artist, because some of them are not professional artists. And, like, some giant percentage of art degree holders are not in the arts. And I feel like it's a failure of the system granted i i very much think that everybody involved in the system is trying their best and they're they have the right intention it's just that the system is training people to like at the end of college you basically get taught how to make the art and then how to make a portfolio but the portfolio is designed to get you into a gallery 
galleries don't fucking exist anymore the way they used mm -hmm. to and yeah they do but there's only a select number of galleries and they can't support everybody and the whole system is it's like but there's also but there's this huge world of people and social media has really like you know democratized the whole thing and um but like i think that that's what happens to a ton of artists is they go to art school and then they learn how to make the art and then make a portfolio and then they get out in the world and they submit their portfolios to all these galleries along with every other motherfucker who just graduated college with an art degree and everybody's at the same basic experience level and uh out of that giant pool of people that submit portfolios only a tiny percentage actually gets accepted and then everyone else is like a month goes by and two months goes by and then they're like what do i do i guess i'll get a job doing something else not using my degree and then two months goes by three months you know they maybe they stop making art maybe they don't have a studio maybe you know and like before you know it they're like so far away from their training that they just never go back and then they become something else or they go back to school and they get a graduate degree and then maybe become an art teacher some of those people might get into art but still they come out in the same situation where they're like submitting portfolios and there's only a limited space so like yeah there isn't like the business side of it and the financial understanding of like the bigger picture of things yeah that's and you my fucking soapbox for you. yes that's a good soapbox man it's it, it rings true and i appreciate that you've tried and failed and you know in some aspect uh, a couple times one thing about artists and people that are creative and have art inside of them is that it also i don't know there can be that ego component uh, and I'm I'm curious, like in your own experience, what was that like when you tried and it didn't work? Did it did it set you back artistically? Did you feel um, like maybe I'm not supposed to be making art? Maybe I am supposed to be swinging hammers. Oh what yeah. Was the emotional side of that. Yeah, for sure. I've I mean, definitely had tail between my legs, like limp back to the cave type moments, and like wallow in my own sorrow about things for months and whatever at a time yeah and um luckily the creative spirit is powerful and if you listen to it like it doesn't matter if you're making it or not or whether you're a janitor or whatever the fuck like you still want to do art and it still feels good to spend time making art and um you know like you can still connect with that, that like beautiful energy that happens when you're sitting there making art, like being creative. There's just like time stops or changes and like you connect with a different, you know, thought pattern or energy frequency, music, podcast books, like you, like you get into a different, different wavelength. And then like, like that's, it's just like, that's it like that's life that's that's what feels so good to do and so like you know i it, like i, I like naturally grab just gravitate towards it and i think everybody who's like felt that before will have this like pull you know towards that and yeah their mind will like tell them maybe not maybe not but i mean luckily i think uh, like i had a formative experience in my college art history classes just sitting there like learning about all these artists um throughout history and 
uh, I think just like the thing, like there was a voice in my head that just said, like, why not you? Like these people are all just people and like, why not you? So, so it's just like, I just kept on, kept coming back to the art and cause it's what I loved little by little it'd grow yeah i've i've been embodying that a lot lately that it's it's more about quantity than anything and i I used to get so hung up on the quality of any given piece and just the more i show up the more i just enjoy it and can let go and it seems like even the the masters or the artists that we look up to they had bodies of work that were just staggering and they weren't all masterpieces Nope. And so, yeah, um, that's cool. I love that you've got, um, yeah, the commercial projects that you do that get to be seen publicly. What kind of art do you make just for yourself? Well, real quick, it was really fun. Uh, like when you would talk to me about your art and where you were, you know, we had some some really good conversations, a little practice art and life. Um, mm, rich- yeah. You know, which is another sort of like tail between my legs thing that didn't quite work, but <laughs> but we're coming back and it's going to be fucking great when it happens. Probably looking at like not this coming winter, but next. Which just but, to round out that story. Uh, yeah, we bought tickets. We were all set to go to this retreat that we signed up for and then it got canceled. And so just Kayla and I came out, but we got the full art and life experience it was everything that it should have been. And yeah, if you can expand that to more people, we had a, we had a good prototype. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> yeah. It was great. And like you and I had an afternoon where we painted in the studio together and it was fun, like working with you because yeah, you were like very focused on the quality and, and then you also were how ha- you had like this judgmental voice inside your head telling you that the quality wasn't good enough so it was like breaking the you know you were like your inner inner child was wanting to play and then your your critic inner critic was like telling the inner child it wasn't good enough and um yeah and so it was really fun like talking with you about that just you know kind of trying to help you dispel your like what you thought was art and what you thought was good enough and what wasn't good enough and and that's great. They're like the lesson you got was like quantity. Like, don't worry. And that's you know, that's my perspective. Is like, don't sweat the small stuff. You're gonna learn how to make that eye perfect or make that shadow or color blend or whatever. You're gonna learn that if you do it enough. So the key is just to do it a lot. Yeah, and I love that afternoon. I was um well, we had a really cool evening before that where Haley led a meditation and we all like visualized this tree. And it was such a cool like image. And then I was trying to like paint this tree that I saw. And then you would come over and you just like look at it and you just pick up a brush. You just like make a new mark. And then I'd be like, okay. And it was like such a letting go of control moment for me to like take something that I just really wanted it to be, you know, a testament to these inner images and this, that, and the other. And you just had this kind of playful puckish, like, like take it easy, man. And (laughs) <laughs> it's funny because like you know I'm I'm actually teaching uh art to high school kids right now and it's you wow. can see what's that wow yeah it's amazing and and there's and there's some of these students that are just so talented but I see a lot of the same things that I've struggled with where you can find your safe zone and you can do these things that you know how to do well you do them over and over everyone's impressed by them but then you know you go two degrees outside of that and suddenly you're confronting your 
limitations or the knowledge you don't have yet. And so the impulse is to retreat back to that safety. And I love with your, yeah, with that afternoon, you're, you're kind of brutally forcing me out of that comfort zone. And I've, I've brought a lot of that back with me that now it's like, yeah, it's more just what can, what can I create through a process that is fun and exploratory and playful and when it's done, I just, you know, I just put it in a folder or I give it to someone, but it's a very different um, approach than I used to have, which is like, I have this vision and I have to get it out. And now I'm wrestling with my shortcomings. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you know, I know that you have a meeting coming up and then we're going to get back to part two. So let's, let's run through a few more questions. I loved your, your soapboxing for aspiring creatives. Um, with everything that you've got going on, the podcast, the murals, the retreats, just the art and life of Taylor Gallegos, uh, what do you want your life to be like in five years? Ooh, ooh. Um, firing on all cylinders. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just making big badass art that's speaking to humanity in a connected way. Like I want to be on the level of um, Shepard Ferry and Banksy and, you know, those like major impact players uh, on the world stage. That's, that's where I would like to go with things. And I actually was thinking about, I'm going to get on my soapbox again. Um, I've been thinking about this question because I've been listening to all these, I've been asking it a bunch and uh, like that for me, I want to be big time. I want to make, be making major impacts and then like with the art and life retreat and online courses i want to be really helping our other artists and like you know helping lift them up and help them find their creative spark and flow and everything like that um but what i would really love to see in five years from now is <laughs> this is a long shot i know but i want to see a fucking evolution of consciousness in humans like that would be the greatest thing of all. And it all comes down to the golden rule. Like if everybody was acting by the golden rule that we all learn when we're four, then like this world would be so much better. Like there's a war in Ukraine right now. There's war in Ethiopia. There's like all kinds of fucked up shit going on. There's global uh, climate crises happening everywhere. There's uh, like women's rights, gay rights, uh, human rights. All this shit is like, like it's it's overwhelming, you know, to think about all this stuff that's happening to people. And, and it's being done by humans to other humans. And the people that are in control of these situations are like consciously making decisions that hurt other people on a large scale like some fucked up shit is going on and and like we are human beings and i've seen some of like the most beautiful of what humanity like what we can be as humans we can be so sweet loving kind like caring all these things and then we can also be absolute fucking monsters. And 
if we keep it up, we're going to fucking die. And we're going to kill all the pl- all the animals, all the plant, you know, everything on this planet is going to go extinct other than like pigeons, crows and rats and cockroaches. And then it's going to be us. And like you are the sum of the five people that you spend your time with. So what does that say about us? Like we could either be the stewards of this land and make things so beautiful and awesome, which I think is possible, or we can destroy everything and basically be rats and cockroaches. Like, and it's up to us. And I don't know how that happens, but like, that's what I want. <laughs> mm, man. Yeah. I'm excited for part two. I want to dig deeper. It's, you know, I think you come across a lot of time as uh, wildly optimistic and present and just kind of steeped in this beautiful life that you've manifested around you. And I'm not sure I've had many conversations with you that really kind of take that bigger view of the world and what's happening and the place of art and creativity in it, which actually is a great segue into the question that I've just been dying to ask you because you've asked it to me once and I've heard you ask it to a number of other people. So I think the hair on my arm is actually standing up as I ask Taylor Gallegos, what is your definition of art? (laughs) Ah, I love it. Um, for me right now, my answer is art is experimentation. And in that way, you know, it's, it's conscious experimentation, I guess, but also you can do it without being like conscious of what you're doing. I don't think that artists have to be fully conscious of what they're doing or why, um, you know, flow state looks flow state takes a lot of different forms and that's and flow state's almost like acting outside of your mind um so like i don't think that conscious thought necessarily needs to be there but um you know like art is not static art is an evolution of process skills ideas concepts um perspectives and And so like, as an artist, what we're doing from day one is we're just trying things. And, and as, as experimentation, I feel like if you take that approach, then it like removes all of the pressure of, you know, like what you were feeling of like a quality that needs to be, that has to be there, you know, like when you think of it that way, like the quality you know like you're expecting like if there's a quality and an attachment to a quality then you have an expectation and then like you're setting yourself up for um you know for suffering really whereas if you just think of it as experimentation and like taking shots at goal and you know throwing darts throwing spaghetti at the wall see what sticks then like you kind of remove yourself and your own like i don't know your own connection, your own ego from, from the process and you get out of the way and you just act like a child. You like think just purely of like, what about this? Or what about this? Or maybe we could put these two things together. Oh, what does that look like? And if you, and if you just experiment a lot, eventually you're going to like find that little fractal branch that's going to be you. And, um, yeah. So in that way, it's just, 
throwing spaghetti at walls, throwing paint at canvas, <laughs> throwing clay together, throwing whatever the fuck it art kind of art you do, just putting it out there and trying it's it. It's wild, man, because like the way you describe that and earlier you mentioned like the inner child that just wants to make this art and which is very much an experimental thing like that's the beating heart but then wrapped around it is the business aspect and the sustainability and then what you were just talking about so passionately about you know the world needing transformation there's like this experimentation and it seems with particularly your art and a lot of others you know there there is this intention there is this um idea that things could be more beautiful or at least reveal the beauty that is here and maybe we could start treating each other better you know uh moving towards that world so with the art you make i mean i think that you do come from this place of childhood creativity um have you seen or experienced your work affect people in the in a deeper level you know maybe moving towards that shift that you're describing how do you how do you wield that power to create mm. that change yeah nice um yeah i've definitely seen it um as an artist doing custom projects for people um you know people come to me for like with an idea with a concept with a vision and um and also like this sweet vulnerability because you know if you hire a plumber that's a need, you know, you need to get that toilet fixed. You don't need a mural. You don't need a painting of something or someone. You, none of that's necessary. And so it's always like, it's always coming from a different place within somebody. And I think it kind of, it really kind of comes from their inner child or their, their creative spark. And so, um, you know, not only do, do do I see like the art affect people in a in a positive way when it's like done, um, you know, and what they get from it, but like I go through the process with them and I sort of like hold space for them while they they talk about it because a lot of these people, you know, they don't consider themselves creative in uh, you know in a lot of ways, and so it's like they don't even need know how to really like talk about it or think about it. So they're going out on a limb, they're vulnerable. And, um, and so like walking them through this process of like the experimentation, the creativity, all the things um, I see that like this, like blossoming that happens in them. That's like creative. And, and uh, you know, I, I don't know. I like to imagine that it, it ripples into time forward for them in positive ways. Um, it's like it's like art begets art yeah totally totally it's an organic process when you see that it works in one spot then you can replicate the process in other ways and, and move forward can can you think of a specific example where something you created had a a tangible like impact on someone or affect someone on a deep level um yeah i've told this story one time i mean I, this question is was there last year too and um you know like there's a couple of portraits that i've done there, portraits that i've done of past of like relatives of people who've passed 
um those are those like really hit people hard and uh and like in a beautiful way um you know because it's like an honoring and of of somebody who's no longer here um but but also just like seeing the the like morale boosts that it brings to like like I did a mural at Anheuser-Busch here in the Bay Area um, like six months back. And I was there for a week and a half. And the mural was like transforming this space in this giant warehouse. And the whole building is this like concrete, brick, stainless steel, like very hardcore. Like everybody's got work helmets on and, and safety goggles. And they're like, you know, it's very structured and organized and like, um, these people that would like get off their shift and they'd be like exhausted, you know, from obviously having like a hard, like industrial style work day. And then they would just like stop and, uh, like look at the mural and look at the progress and, and be like, you know, you could see what was happening in them. They would just sort of like get lit up and they're like, they would be like, dude, this is looking so good. And, you know, like you could feel that they were just so happy for like, humanity like this like touch of humanity that they were getting to connect with and the creative process is like the the organic element is like very human i feel like and not everybody gets that hmm, that's super cool uh well we, we just have a few more minutes until part two starts uh hit us hit us with some wisdom off the top of your head enlighten, <laughs> enlighten all those lovely listeners on the spot wisdom Oh man. Tell people you love them when you feel it. You know, like you never know. You never know what's going to happen, where you're going to go, where other people are going to go. And uh, we're only here for a short time. Yeah, man. <laughs> I feel that, you know, last night I um, was driving back from Denver and I re-listened to the the podcast with Adam and it was so bizarre because while he was talking, he was just there. Like it, it wasn't, it wasn't hard to listen to. It was just like, just totally there. And, you know, to hear a friend who was so full of life, so full of all of these same qualities that we have, you know, talking excitedly about his future and um, yeah, that that was a lesson in exactly what you just described. I think that kind of rippled through our community pretty strong, just seeing how how beautiful life is and how temporary beauty is and not waiting to to tell someone that you love them or to just appreciate today. So, yeah, yeah, yeah we uh, you know, you and I both live in pretty like safe bubbled worlds relative to a lot of places on the planet and we've been really privileged to not have to say goodbye to a lot of people early and uh yeah that that definitely <laughs> um that hit us so yeah but we learned a lot, you know, all of us. Yeah. 
Yeah. Learned a lot. It like taught us how to live. Yeah. In a way, the way that the way that he passed like was like a magic trick and a public art display at the same time. Like it's been so affecting. And he taught us so much. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Yep. Big love to Adam. Yeah. Well, um, we're gonna take a break. And real quick, back, real quick. Let's uh Yeah. We gotta uh well I wanna I wanna say thank you to you, by the way. Uh this is the part of the podcast where I thank my guest, my mm. guest host for being on the podcast. And um yeah, Ryan, it's been fucking awesome watching the progression and like the growth path that has happened in your life and uh your creative your creative world so i'm excited to see where where you go with it and where it develops into and um you know it's fun it's fun following along so thanks for being on the podcast as a host like like i said a huge honor and you've had so much to do with my my creativity that i cannot i cannot tell you enough how much i love you love you too man Love you too. Um, where can people follow you? Um, you can follow me on Instagram at, at thinair, which is T-H-I-N-A-Y-R. And then I have a YouTube channel called Uncomplication. Uh, yeah. Love nice. to, yeah. Everybody uh, get out there and give them a follow. Follow along with the fun. <laughs> Watch Ryan throw spaghetti at walls. That's right. Colorful spaghetti. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, uh, let's take a break. I'm going to go have this business meeting with uh, Amy and Delia, and then we'll be back for part two. Sounds good. All right. Cheers. Part two is brought to you by Steady State Roasting in Carlsbad, California. This place is my favorite coffee shop on the West Coast. And the coffee is the best. They roast all their own coffees from around the world and have a roasting collective for the local coffee making community. Check them out in the village of Carlsbad or order their beans online at steadystateroasting.com. And we're back. Welcome back, Taylor. Hey, thanks, Ryan. It's nice to be back. Yeah, we had a few hours pass in the interim. We did. We did um, for our listeners. Yeah, they had no idea because we're just like right back for recording time. But it's Hollywood magic. <laughs> but it's yeah, kind of nice. Yeah, we had that first part of the conversation during daylight and like all heady. And now it's dark. We have a couple whiskeys poured and ready for the back nine. Yeah, we haven't even cheers yet. So oh, yeah. cheers, Ryan, cheers to art and life to art and life. Mm. That's nice. And cheers uh, yeah. to uh cheers to the listener. You know, thanks yeah. for thanks for being here. I want to say thanks. You guys are awesome. Appreciate you. Yeah, 100 episodes in. That's that's a following. Dude, people are still right? rocking it's, with it. It's not just your mom anymore. I know. And you know, my mom does think I'm cool, but someone else might might think <laughs> so too. I don't know. Maybe not. I don't know. We don't want to get ahead of ourselves. Um, <laughs> what are you What are you sipping on? Yeah, I bought a bottle of Rocky Mountain Stranahan's Blue Peak 
single malt whiskey, which I've never had the blue label Stranahan's. I wanted something Colorado. So yeah, I've yeah. had Stranahan's before, tasty. never the blue label, but nice. So yeah, that local. Um, I'm rocking this, uh, this Angel's Envy. It's a mm. Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey finished in port wine barrels. Whoa. It's tasty. Living in the lap of luxury. Oh, we're, we're doing it up big time. That's here. that's mural money right there. <laughs> no, that's actually lawyer money. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm staying with Colin. Thank you, you, Colin. Colin Barreno, who you all can hear in a previous episode not too far back. And uh, he always lets me stay with him uh, when I do my murals in San Francisco. And it's much appreciated, Colin. I know you're listening to this. So, <laughs> thanks, man. <laughs> Cheers to you. Cheers to you. Awesome human. Yeah. Well, yeah. So the back nine. Um, man, there's so many different places that we could dive in. I think what I was going to ask you is I love your style of creating because it is very go with the flow and it invites in those fortunate uh, chances. So the fact that we we were trying to schedule this and we have planned shift and then, you know, just taking that, I don't know, couple hour break to do what we needed to do. That that feels very much part of your process. <laughs> and I've seen you paint murals where you like show up and you might have like a loose idea, but you just know that everything's going to come together. And I'm, I'm wondering in your artistic career, has that always been the case or did you have to figure that out? Hmm. Good question. Um, I think that it's probably been it. I think it's got something that I've gotten to through time. Um, you know, when, when you're starting out, you, it helps a lot more to have a plan because, uh, you know, at this point I've seen all the ways that things can go sideways and I've figured out how to handle those things in general, or I'm like, you know, always running into new shit that goes sideways and you just figure it out. And, um, and then like, you just handle it, you do whatever needs to be done. And, uh, you know, like, a lot of art painting and drawing uh, you know it's the same basic structure to everything it's like light and shadow creates form and then color sits on top of form and so like whether you're painting a, a face a person a figure a um, still life uh, you know architecture whatever it doesn't matter abstract anything it's uh you know the same basic principles apply and you just gotta like go through the process and 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 now I definitely like trust the process I just lean into it and so I don't really need to know exactly what's going to happen I just need I just know that it, it will happen yeah that's cool and this being art and life I see how that applies in art light and shadow and in a way I think that this podcast being an example you know we just we just kind of trust that we'll show up and we'll know what to do in the time comes do you see in just your living that there's like light and shadow and basic principles that you just put color on top of yeah i would say uh you know <laughs> yeah just just have fun and go with it just see you know lean into experience keep it as optimistic and positive as you can as i can and uh and everything 
seems to work out one way or another. And then also like, I try to not be too attached to things and um, to like a schedule or an outcome or this or that, uh, because it allows, you know, I have an idea of how it's going to go, but everything kind of changes and flows, which I know is challenging for people to deal with. (laughs) I fully understand that. And like all my friends and family, thanks for sticking with me this long because (laughs) I know it's a pain in the ass and like, and it really, it can ruffle feathers of people, you know, like, cause, cause it's not how a lot of people roll. And, um, you know, and, and I, I see it like with, uh, when I'm interacting with my friends who have kids, like it's a challenge or some of them, um, you guys seem to be pretty go with the flow, but it's a, it can be a challenge because, you know, it takes a little while to like get things moving. And then if you're going in a direction, you can't just like switch and turn back because you got these like little people that are, you know, in tow. And, uh, and so it, it can like, create a challenge at times when I interface Mm. with other people. And is that something that you've always embodied when you were a kid where you just roll with the punches, go with the flow? Did you ever get freaked out by change or things not going according to your plan? Hmm. Um, no, I've always been, I've always been very go with the flow. Yeah. Nice and easy. Yeah, I wonder how much of it is nature versus nurture, because I have two kids and one of them is, I mean, they're both wonderful and they do adapt well, but um, my son is very, he likes structure, he likes to know what to expect. And then my daughter will just climb up on the highest thing and jump into the air with the faith that I'm going to somehow catch her. Like (laughs) I'm not even paying attention and she leaps off of like the highest point and I have to like instinctually catch her. (laughs) i think her uh her autobiography would be called soaring without a plan (laughs) that's beautiful you know it it both works out but i'm trying to picture you as a little kid like were you were you the one climbing up on stuff and just like jumping and knowing that like the your parents were gonna catch you or you're gonna land on your feet yeah i I guess i was maybe kind of somewhere in between i mean when i'm thinking about me and my brother cam who's been on the podcast he was like a daredevil you know as a little kid he was just like crashing through walls riding bmx bikes and have his like full face helmet when he's like six and launching off a of shit and i was always more like uh cautious than that um but in terms of like going with the flow yeah it's always i've always just been like sure whatever and i don't know if cam's like more structured than me in that way Um, he's pretty, he's pretty chill too. Um, I think a lot of it comes from our mom probably. And just, uh, like, she's very just like, Hey, if it's good, we're good. No worries. (laughs) And if it's not good, let's figure out what needs to be made good. That's cool. Yeah. So I, I was thinking leading up to the, to the second half here that, uh, you typically start the first, the first, uh, part with um what are you really into and so i was going to ask you in the in the beginning of the back nine what are some things that you are trying to avoid or some of the things that you're trying to do less of yeah cool um trying to do less of i guess 
I'm trying to streamline myself and uh and the like my art in, in my process and my in my murals um like in the business structure and in me making the art and murals like I'm trying to uh I'm I'm always thinking of ways that I can streamline it so that I can be more focused on the art and like just that um so I have an assistant Anthony Evans um he helps me with painting and live wedding art and and he's he's awesome super talented and he's sharp as fuck and um we work really well together and so um what I'm trying to do with the murals is you know figure out the way to to work really well with an assistant so that you know when we arrive on site he sets up all the stuff set up the table set up the paints get everything ready brushes water all the things and I'm like on the art immediately and then um you know sometimes I'll I have you know I'll have him fill in some spaces and whatnot um do some painting and then some and then like a lot of times I just need help like with the basic bullshit um which you know isn't super fun for him to do you know he, he loves when he can do the painting but at the same time like what I need is um I need help with like the monotonous you know cleaning of brushes and things like that so and then the business is kind of the same setup of like you know how can we optimize my time and energy to be focused on the things that only I can do in the business and like where my strong suit sits um yeah and then uh in life just trying to trying to optimize for awesome <laughs> I like that yeah you know I've, I've i've taken detours and done dumb shit in my life lots and lots and lots of times and um mm. you know just try to make smarter decisions as i go along and um you know not waste my time on little errands or whatever that that i don't need to do because you know i've got all my artwork and whatnot going and then um you know Haley and nova are our home and i want to give them as much attention as i can and like have a, as much time to play and do fun shit and go camping and go you know for walks and hikes and whatnot so it's like kind of just like iron smoothing smoothing out the wrinkles ironing them out as i go along i don't know what, what, would, you, what would you say what are you trying to like do less of yeah i was actually talking to a friend about this earlier today um because you just turned 40 yeah and happy birthday hey thanks man and i and i, and I beat you, to you that there. Number by just like a like a month or two yeah yeah so happy birthday um, to you thank you yeah you know it's an interesting milestone and it came a lot quicker than i thought and i haven't read this book so i don't know much about it but i think the title of it is the second mountain hmm. and a friend was telling me about this book that's about like the first you know first half of your life you're climbing this mountain and you're you have a destination in mind this image of yourself or where you're trying to get and then around middle age like 40 you you kind of come to the top of a, of a mountain but it often is not quite what you thought it was going to be and the second half of your life you're you're climbing your second mountain but you have this new perspective and you get to choose what you want to carry up that second mountain with you so I think for me, I mean, I spent my last 
decade, really just heads down chasing kind of a dream of, I don't know, all the normal bullshit, the wealth and, you know, running a company and all the stuff that I was doing. And now, um, yeah, I feel like my focus is so much more on the people that matter to me and the things that fill me. And I would rather make less money and do more awesome, like you said, like that optimization for awesome. So yeah, I'm really, I'm saying no to a lot more things, which I think when I was younger, it's just like, yes, 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 I can do that. I can fill that gap. I can, I can. And and now I'm a lot more discerning about where I, where I invest time. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, thinking about the second mountain thing, it's, I've thought of that too, you know, you get to 40 and I definitely want to, I'd love to live to 80 and I'd like love to live to 90 or even a hundred if I can be like healthy and, and, you know, happy with it. And cheers um, to that. Cheers to that. <laughs> um, but, but it's interesting thinking of your life. Okay. I, I, we're, we're 40 now. And um, we got, we've gone through all these experiences. Like you can think back through your life to all the different standout experiences and your formative years and all the things. And that's your first mountain. And then you go, you're going for your second mountain, but it's cool because you're not starting at sea level. You're starting at like base camp. So your next 40 is like, you're already, you're already like on, you're running, you know? And maybe you want to start some things over or do something things like totally different, but at least you have like all the experience behind you to like base your decisions on and things like that. Yeah. And I mean, it's a good analogy because with mountain climbing, there's peaks and valleys and you get those high points and those low points. And I feel like the, the more you go through the terrain, the more you have that confidence to just be prepared for anything. And it's a lot of what we've been talking about. And I, and I like that idea of like, there is creativity, certainly that inner child that just wants to be messy and throw spaghetti but then there, there is a power to limitations, like saying no to things or to have a process that reliably gets you to a result that you want. And I think when I was younger, I, I really, I didn't want any kind of structure. I didn't want any kind of, you know, like the process should just be fun and wild and experimental. So I'm curious, has your process matured over time is it kind of the same approach but just refined or i think oh, that yeah. you're a pro yeah talk about your process maybe a little bit just for any given thing because i see it a lot like whether you're painting a mural or you're planning like a 40th birthday blowout like there's <laughs> there's some sort of like framework within which chaos and beauty can like unfurl <laughs> i like that <laughs> totally um yeah it's funny as you're asking me that and as I'm like my answer is sort of formulating in my head the visual is that of creating a sculpture actually not even a painting and um you know like with a sculpture let's say it's like a clay sculpture that you're doing first you want to like get all the clay into the three-dimensional shape that you want and then you start like cutting 
big chunks off because you know that you don't, don't want anything over there and you want to add something here and you like you start to form it and um and it's very rough at first and you know like the, the 40th birthday i was like i don't know i just want to spend a week surfing in carlsbad you know surfing every day and having fun at the beach and uh you know and then doing a painting it's like i want this general can you know um this shape and this composition i want like a triangle with sort of like outliers so i'll just draw a triangle and some lines and like knowing that like that's gonna not even knowing what that's gonna end up being and then little by little you start to like make cuts and shape things and form things add color add this and that and then like um and and like the process is to just stay with it you know and just keep coming back to it and making decisions and being present with like your feelings because a lot of time you know one thing I do or yeah one thing I do in the, in the creative process is I just listen to the ideas that pop up in my head I'm like oh okay I'll try that experiment I'll try that I'll try that boom idea and as it goes along it just keeps on sharpening in and um and every layer that I do you know talking about painting I maybe you know maybe I'll start with I'll, I'll be working in the mid-tones you know and so that means it's like not super bright not super dark it's in the mid-tone and it doesn't matter what color I use it could be like any any hue and so then um, I'll just start drawing shapes and then you know maybe I'll be on like the darker side of the mid-tone so it's like middle darkness, but down a little bit in like a blue. Draw out the shape. And then I'll go to the lighter side of the mid-tone in a different color, say red. And then I'll go back to a darker side. And so like as I'm drawing these the shapes, every, and I'm just thinking in what I'm drawing, I'm just thinking shadows and highlights, structure, stuff like that. So at the beginning, it looks super rough and it looks crazy and chaotic and it looks ugly and funky and weird. Um, but then, and as I go through my painting, I'm sort of like stretching farther into the brighter side and farther into the darker side of all these, of whatever colors I'm using. So I'll kind of like bounce around the color wheel in circles, moving farther out into the darker and the highlight. And by the end, after I've gone through the process where let's say I'm using red, blue, and yellow, I have, once the process is done, I will have done a bunch of mid-tones of those red, blue, and yellow. And then I've also done like stretched out into the highlights and the darks of the red, blue, and yellow. And then I'll hit it with like a final dark and a final highlight. And then that's like, that, that's what makes it all like snap into place. And, um, yeah, I guess the process of like how I plan a project or plan a birthday party or whatever. It's all kind of similar. We're all like, I'll just like move things around in shapes and colors and try things in different places and lean into it and carve and add and whatever. Does that make <laughs> <Anyway>. sense? <laughs> yeah, definitely. It definitely I and when we did that little painting exercise, I had never done it quite that way. And the way you were describing it just now is very much how it felt where you are just kind of manipulating this amorphous thing that starts to kind of take more and more shape and clarity 
as you kind of push it back and forth between the the lights and the darks. And so it's kind of cool how you're by the time you've done a painting, you've probably made like a million decisions, but each yeah. one of them was so small that you're never really like at risk of like making a mistake because they're all just like these small, I don't know, kind of like intuitive corrections, I guess. Right. And that's the beauty of it is that there really is no such thing as a mistake because let's say I do something that's quote unquote incorrect. Let's say it's in the wrong spot or it's whatever. If I didn't make that mark, then I wouldn't necessarily know what over the edge or in, or wrong or mm. whatever would actually be. So sometimes it helps to make a mistake, quote unquote, because then that helps you figure out where the actual correct move sits. You know, it's funny is as you're talking, I'm thinking paint and then I'm thinking about how that applies so much to relationships too. Oh yeah. And just a lot of things in life where, yeah, there's no real mistakes, but there's definitely edges and boundaries that you can kind of like, I'm going to step kind of far over this and just see what happens. And you're, you're kind of playing with that, that edge. Yeah. Um, yeah, where I, I had this written down just as a question to ask you because um, I I know this effect where it's really easy to get on a on a podcast or to be sharing wisdom and um, we we can fall into that authority kind of place really easily, especially when we're when we're good at stuff. But I found and tell me if you think this is true that when you hear someone speaking really eloquently and from experience about philosophy or art, a lot of the times people are saying the things that they themselves most need to hear. Mm -hmm. And so I found that, you know, I'm, I can sit and I can talk about how, yeah, the world is inherently okay. And this, that, and the other. And really that's because I'm just deep down trying to convince myself of that. Cause it's my greatest fear that it might not be. Yeah. And so, you know, as I, as I hear you kind of talking about these edges, where, where do you see your edges? Like what, what keeps you up at night? What's maybe, you know, we're, we're hearing a lot of the highlights, but like, where, where are your shadows? Yeah. Nice. Where are my shadows? Um, my shadows sit in my habits, I guess, or my, I guess in my like, ways of being like I said uh it's hard to be it's hard to interact with me at times um and I know that and um because like there's my vision of what I want to have happen and and then like but I'm not always taking into account what everybody else wants or um what would work for other people um if we had Haley right here answering this question, she could throw out yeah. a laundry list. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, it's like, um, I think that like there was a, like a, I don't know, my formative years were challenging. My parents were divorced, um, you know, when I was like, five and my dad was my dad 
my dad was always doing his doing his thing that he moved out and um so then like we would see him when when it worked out and sometimes we saw him a lot and sometimes we didn't and it it like was I don't know it was it's kind of like his world in some way he did a let me just say he's he did a great job and he's an awesome person and um and he's shown a lot of love through the years and uh and our relationship's good um but but I think there was a lot of time where like he was just trying to figure out what he was doing with his life and how to live his life and he didn't have great examples for how to show others care and and attention and so then that was sort of imparted on me um and then so it sort of like formed me into like like I have my ego style is aloof you know if we're talking about like the Celestine prophecy there's like four four ego styles there's the bully uh the poor me aloof and uh the interrogator and we those ego styles we have we all have various combinations of them and we use them they kick in automatically when we're feeling uncomfortable and so then we it's like a defense mechanism and so and we learn it from how we we're trying to uh get energy from our parents as children it's like a formative thing so your ego style will be like in relation to your parents ego style because you were in relation to them and so I was always like wanting energy but then um it was like uh yeah I like created this sort of like aloof ego style showing like trying to act like I didn't need it you know like I don't need anyone's energy I'm like good without it and so that like aloofness can be uh like hurtful to other people that I'm around and um and so it was really great you know and that that's one one hypothesis one one philosophy the Celestine prophecy that I've that I've just really resonated with and makes sense in this reality with the way people are so yeah um I definitely like that's that's sort of the thing that I'm always like trying to be aware of is that I might be um you know making people feel like I don't care about them or that that I'm like that they don't matter or something and and it's like comes from my ego and trying to you know like it, it's like a formative formative thing yeah yeah there's a, there's a lot that you said that I I resonate with and I, I had a friend recently say, and it's really quite wise that uh, people will construct entire lives to run from the one thing that they don't want to face. Like our deepest fears will construct a whole life just to avoid that. And I'm curious with the, the story that you just shared, I mean, art is a it's a wonderful way to, to get that attention and that energy. 
And how do you how do you see that ego and that that art kind of interplaying? Because a lot of a lot of artists, you know, historically and present day have had very large egos. So, you know, it's not a bad thing because we have this art. But how do you play with that um, kind of self-knowledge? But also the the ego aspect of being Taylor Gallegos. (laughs) making his art (laughs) right um well yeah it's interesting the formative okay so like the ego style the aloof the the art making you know art is was definitely a way to get energy and attention um because i didn't feel like i could do it other ways and um and growing up i remember like I would, I would make drawings and I'd spend my time drawing and I would try to get, you know, my dad to look at it and he would look at it, but he, he'd be like, Oh, cool. You know? And I'm like, no, but look, like there's like detail in there and this, this is that and that. And like, um, he'd be like, yeah, cool. It's great. You know? Cause he didn't like, he's, he's a, a business person. He's like in sales and that's how he thinks. And he's never, never had any like, training or awareness in art at all and never you know and so like he didn't really see it or know how to see it and um and then my mom would always like really like look at it and like dive in with me and so there was this sort of like duality and I think and like and I would yeah I would like I would really try to you know get energy with art try you know as a way that I could impress people and make them like like oh ah cool and um and so that that like pushed me I think it really like you know because I was like well maybe if I make it like even better then dad will really like it you know and then uh so I had this like sort of dual thing with like wanting to impress my dad and then like my mom uh you know supporting and so it it like it actually was like the perfect combination to like push me to get as good as I could be. Um, and I was unaware of all this for, you know, so long. And then when I read that book, Celestine Prophecy, that like all of a sudden I was like, holy fuck, like this is my life. This is like what I've been doing this whole time is like trying to impress people. And, um, and, boom I just like I just like stopped for a little bit stopped making art I was like I this isn't this is stupid like what am I doing like this is you know to live through like to do everything for the ego like get out like this is you know and then uh so then I didn't do anything for a little while and then I and then I just missed it you know and I and I just like missed the action of it, the activity, the, the beauty, the, like the, the mindset, the fun. And, uh, and I just started drawing again and started making art, but this time it was from like, it wasn't for anybody else. I didn't, I like, wasn't even showing anyone anything. I was just doing it. And like, I like found my footing again and like found myself in a space of like art from like, you know, trying to operate from my soul space rather than, um, rather than for anybody else or any any other thing any ego type thing and um yeah it's interesting like the 
the ego, you know, the formative years of the ego, it's like really just trying to get energy from our parents and trying to get energy from the world. And like the, the main, I feel like the big things that we're all trying to hear back from either our parents or the world is that we matter, you know, or that like, you know, like that we exist and that's like, we're, that we're enough. And like, that's so much of like, look at the world, look at everyone's decisions, look at the the things we do, like the things we buy, the, uh, like all the decisions we make, like so much of it is like trying to like answer that or fill, fill that void inside of us that we feel, which is like that we, we fear that we're not enough or that we're not good enough or that we don't, don't matter or that we don't even fucking exist. And that's a hypothesis I have. <laughs> yeah, That was good, man. That's good shadow work right there. <laughs> I, I don't know an, a single person that I'm like intimately connected with or in deep conversations with that doesn't have some some reflection of that basic story and it always is wild to me to find these people that I just I, I respect so much and I I just see them as these really beautiful humans and you go a few layers deep and there's a lot of that self-doubt and that you know negative self-talk or yeah, almost like the imposter syndrome that um, we all carry some of these shadow elements. And when we're praised as being really good for the things that we do, we kind of know in the back of our mind, like, yeah, but I'm kind of putting that on. And it creates this interesting situation, at least I felt this, that it's hard for me to accept the praise of others or to to see the the version of myself that other people see because I know kind of like what you're describing, you know, this, um, this yearning to feel important and never really getting the attention that we, that we were looking for maybe when we were younger. So, yeah, I, I like the way that you just described that. So here's a, here's a question then. Um, in that vein, when you are coming up against your um, limitations or uh, I'm trying to think. So let me let me just tell the story that's on my mind. So I have a, a friend that I was inviting to come and just be a guest speaker in, a, in an art class that I'm teaching. And it kicked off this whole conversation about that kind of imposter syndrome where um, you know, from an out, outward appearance, you, you're, you know, highly successful. You're doing, doing these things. Uh, yeah. Do, do you have times where you show up and you, you are self-doubting or you, you feel like maybe your own um, kind of marketing has outpaced your abilities or like, I don't know. Do you, do you have some stories of maybe not the the grand slams, but the the really wrestling with like where you're at versus where you want to be. Yeah. Uh, definitely. And I think the, the place where it has had, where it's 
happened the most is on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Instagram. I mean, and I, I mean, it. I think it's a testament or it's like, it's kind of showcases like how real the that effect is like the imposter the outside like the I, mean, I feel like the instagram effect you know you're like when i got on there all of a sudden i was exposed to all the artists of the world <laughs> and like there are so fucking many incredible artists like incredible um like mind-blowing shit that's being done all over the planet and um and I went from thinking that I was like kind of you know like kind of hot shit to being like oh I'm <laughs> nothing I should probably quit <laughs> like this is like there's so many better people so many more people out there and like you know maybe it's because of like when you're studying art in school when you know like there's just this like timeline of all these artists and there's like one or two really great one like 10 or whatever in each movement that are really noteworthy and then like um and then you know I'd go to galleries and I kind of thought that I like knew a lot of the galleries or something but like it's one of those where like you know the more you know the more you know you don't know mm -hmm. and like I would just like saw all the, all this amazingness and I was like man I don't think I can I don't think I can hang and like yeah I, that it, it just makes me think that like that's so real for so many people and I've got like a lot of training and a lot of hours and a bachelor of fine arts and all this stuff and like for me to feel that way like what's somebody who's just like starting out in a field supposed to think and um yeah it's like it's just that's that's a that's a low feeling and yeah it just kind of like crushes your spirit <laughs> it's not not easy <laughs> yeah yeah totally I've never really done social media and just recently because I have been doing more art I'm like yeah Instagram that's where you go and so I've been posting and it's been really enjoyable I think just to like have that as an outlet so that things don't just like go immediately into the folder but at least like my homies can see it yeah. But as I've been on there longer and I'm just like following more, you know, you just get sucked into that scrolling. And like you said, man, just like mind blowing shit. And that's kind of the world we live in where everyone's voice is turned up so loud competing for that attention. It's not even like one parent we're trying to impress. It's like the entire fucking world. Right. And I don't know, like the, the escalation effect that can happen seems like a departure from the spirit of art you know when you're when you're doing art and i'm not knocking anyone who's like kicking ass and like crushing it on instagram you know thousands of likes on a post uh, but I, I do wonder what that does to the the human expression when it is plugged into the attention economy and we're no longer you know putting up something in our local village square just to bring out some color and human qualities in a, in a place that would just be a brick wall, but we're actually like every day having to, you know, throw something else on that altar. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's, here's a little segue into a conversation that I was, I was curious to have with you. 
in my Instagram feed, there's a few um, AI art artists that have popped up. And, you know, I liked a couple of them. And now there's like two of them that are like pretty consistent in the feed. And it just, it blows my mind that every single one of them has probably like, I don't know, five to 10 times the likes of the the traditional artists that are actually, you know, doing the work and, and these AI artists, you know, they're able to post, you know, five, six, seven, eight images a day that are all like these permutations. And so, um, I don't know. I think we talked about this a little bit when we were out, when I was out there in California with you, but I'm curious, uh, you know, beyond the AI, just the whole way that art is consumed these days. I think you've been in it a lot longer than I have. Um, and you, and you talked a little bit about it, but yeah, what's your, what's your impression? Where do you see it going and where would you like to see it go? <laughs> well, yeah, it's such a trip, the AI element and like there, you know, two months ago, I read an article about how um, some artists from Colorado Springs entered this AI image into as like a multimedia type thing. He didn't lie. He just like explained the process, but there was AI involved and he won the art contest and like everybody got really like up in arms about it. And um, and then there's this new thing that's happened in the last like week where uh people are like you submit a bunch of your um your porch like bunch of mm. photos of yourself and then this program will like cross it with different styles so you can like me me as a van gogh me as a rembrandt me as a whatever and like and and like so many fucking artists all over the place and then uh everyone's up in arms about that because there's um because the ai programs are like trolling um actual like digital artists original mm. artists and yeah. artists for their styles it's almost plagiarism right ripping it and then making the new thing and so um yeah definitely almost plagiarism in a strong way um but i guess i don't feel solid about it that it is fully plagiarism or that it's a bad thing um because or even like you know like the instagram effect that i was talking about how like it makes you feel so shitty that like these people are all so fucking awesome ai is ridiculously awesome i've loved everything i've seen come out it's so fucking nasty but or or and i'm gonna say, <laughs> but, I'm gonna say and um it's also a computer program and it's not a human and it's going to go faster than us. It can make way more art than I ever can in a shorter amount of time. It can do, you know, and there's something special about the human spirit. I, I feel, I believe, um, you know, the human, the human creativity and we're, I don't think like AI is not going, I don't think AI is going to replace human art, but it is going to take up space in, mm. in the art space. And I don't, I don't think it's not art. Um, and I don't think it should be like not valued as art. And, um, you know, AI is learning from humans, but humans are going to learn from AI also. And like, um, there was some some book that I read not too long ago 
there's a couple of books I've read that are talking about the future and saying that like the future of humanity is actually like a synthesis with technology and it's already happening. It's already, it's, it's been happening for a long time, but it's just going to go further and further that, that direction. So like, I guess I, in, I, until, before I joined Instagram, uh, really I was, and like, before I got an iPad, I was feeling more traditional and more of a purist. I'm like, I just want, I, you know, I, I just want to paint and draw and use like real things. Um, and then I sort of had a change of heart. I was like, no, you like to do that is sort of ignoring what's actually mm-hmm. happening around us. So like, why fight it? Like, why? I guess like if you can't beat them, join them. So like, I, I'm not going to like, I, I think it, to be able to use traditional stuff like uh materials and and things is like i would say it's really important um if you want to be a full rounded well-rounded artist then um then you need to be able to use all the things and sometimes use technology and sometimes not there's all these tricks that i use to make murals happen and a lot of those tricks help me do it a lot faster now still i have training so like if I needed to, like if power went out, then I could do it without it. If I didn't have the tools, I could figure it out and I could make it happen. And that's where I, you know, I want to be as well-rounded as I can be so that I can, you know, not be reliant on it. Because I think reliance on it makes you, you're just not as like strong of an artist, I guess. Um, I digress. yeah Yeah, it's wild Um, it's a trip it's a trip because i like i started watercoloring which i'd never really done before and i was learning a little bit or not even learning just like experimenting and it was really just like free-flowing and bright and colorful and then i got on instagram and i saw some post i still remember what it was it's funny you know like i think i'll probably always remember this image because it's the first ai image that i saw Oh, yeah. Like it's just like seared in my brain. I just saw it. I was like, man, that is phenomenal. Like, I, cause I had no idea it was AI. And when I clicked in and saw, you know, it said mid journey and I was like, okay, what's that? So I started researching and before long I had gone from my like, you know, watercolor set to sitting in front of this discord server I had set up, set up like typing prompts. And all of a sudden I was just generating these watercolors that were like way, way, way beyond anything that I could do. Yeah. And it was really disheartening at in one uh hand but on the other hand i don't know maybe this is just personality type or whatever but i'm i'm back at the watercolors because it's just more enjoyable and there was sort of like this hollow experience of just like typing a few words and having this thing pop up and maybe like to the attention economy like those better quality images are more valuable but to me like art is not just about like hey look at this thing it's about like i made this thing and I, you know, my, my brain is in this piece of art and that, that can't really be easily replaced with, you know, command line prompting. But like you said, I, I also agree that um, it's not going away. The people that are good at it, you know, they're, they're also learning a craft. And I think at the end of the day, it's, it's just another branch of the artistic tree 
And it's kind of interesting to think about how in the old days, a lot of these arts were very time consuming just in the process. And I'd even, I'd even include things like, um, like video editing or um, computer programming as an art form. Like you used to have to know how to write like command line, you know, ones and zeros almost to make a computer program. And now there's been so many layers on top of that that other people have built that you can just show up as a, you know, 10 year old and like build a game. Right. And so with, with the AI, it's almost like it has democratized the process so that now creativity is the currency and some of the the things that i'm seeing it's like wow like that is just a very creative mind kind of pushing this computer to its limits and they didn't have to learn all of the the skills to get there and i think especially for people that haven't invested that um time in a traditional expensive time-consuming artistic background like for a certain demographic that will be um, you know, a place that they'll move into and set up shop and be refining those techniques. But I don't know. I, I, I agree with you in that like uh, sim um, symbiosis, I guess, between the, the machine and the mind. And if these can be tools for the human mind to like tell deeper and deeper stories, then it's at least cool. It's at least interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel like what it's... I mean, one thing that it brings up and what it, it brings us back to the question of what's your definition of art, you know, and this is like, is <laughs> art the process? Is art the final product? Does art need to happen like through a human's hand? Can art be, you know, computer prompts that a human thinks of? And that comes up or computer prompts that an AI thinks up, like, uh, you know, take the human out of it even. Mm. And, and like one of my favorite quotes, and I've said it on this before is from the painter, Robert Henri. And he said, the goal is not to make art. The goal is to be in that wonderful state of being where making art is inevitable so like the art isn't necessarily the thing that you're making the art is to be in that creative flow and that creative fun space and that's like truly what what like we're really trying to do so democratizing creativity making it so that anybody on the street can make beautiful images that they love like fuck yeah you know every more people can engage in art and feel mm. like they're they're qualified and like feel like they can be part of the conversation like that's a win because you know and i think that some of the the, the main people that are against it or feel some sort of like aversion to it are artists who are worried about losing a job and which is understandable it's people's livelihoods it's people's styles that they've developed through time and energy and processes and whatnot but at the same time like art is not a competition there are competitions for landing art projects and landing things and i understand that um but like art art isn't it's not like a there isn't a Super Bowl of art. We're not like competing in on Sundays against each other for who's the better artist. Like art is 
a connection to oneself and one's experience and like it's it's meaning making and it's philosophy and it's like uh and it's play so Mm -hmm. or it's you know conveying messages whatever it's like all these different things so it's not like ai art does not um take away from that actually it it like uh augments it it enhances it in a lot of ways for for people in society yeah gosh you know the thing that you said that i'm i'm like i'm still chewing on is i don't know what it feels like to be um plagiarized by ai like i like when i actually think about putting myself in the situation of an artist who has developed a style and now that style is like a a prompt that's being used over and over and over you know i was really relieved when i was trying to create something in the style like i've kind of developed over the years and i couldn't through ai but if i was a big enough artist or if it had enough data on it like i'm sure it could create the types of images that i wanted to create and then when everyone has access to something that like came from my brain initially like that's that's kind of a new fuzzy edge to me but i want to i want to take you could you could take that as being offended and be upset or you could take it as a compliment and that's true like imitation is the highest form of flattery so like if if no one's paying if no one's copying you then you're not doing anything that's like <laughs> and if you ouch, are taylor ouch like, <laughs> so you can take it as a compliment <laughs> you <Yeah>. know <laughs> you and and you will you know you're gonna you're gonna see ai do it copying you soon ryan so don't worry about that yeah we're all but also like style is a byproduct of intention and parameters so like just you know if your intention is I think by trying to keep one's own style and stay true to your own style, you're putting the cart before the horse mm-hmm. and, and you're not evolving. You've like hit, you know, that's like a musician, like having a hit album and then like trying to replicate the album just in new ways. It's like the, the truly dynamic artists are the ones who reinvent themselves on every album. And you can't fucking keep up with that. Try it. AI. You can't like, because you're making new, fresh shit all the time. And like AI is copying and synthesizing. And, and so like in that way, like it can do that all day long, but you're always going to be coming out with unique things. If you're true to your intention and your style and your, you know, your, your flow, like listening to your heart and your mind and your soul, whatever, like you're going to make something that look that no one's seen before. So where's the conversation? That that was well said. And it it touches on another one of my favorite quotes that's about science, because we really look at science as like, oh, everything everything can be answered by science. Uh, And there's a lot of mindsets, I think, today that like, oh, science is a fairy godmother. It'll eventually save us. But there's this weird interface between just this void of reality and our science where science is based on hypotheses but there's nothing in science that creates a hypothesis like a human has to come up with that it's a it's a it's a leap of faith or a you know a a doorway into imagination and then it becomes science then it becomes a theory then it becomes you know tested and in the same way like i was just thinking about ai and you're right like it's just like churning through the muck of what's already been done 
And that's not to say that it won't permutate and like do other things, but there's always that, that potential in the human spirit to take that next step and create the next thing that, yeah, gets thrown on the pile of synthesis. Um, and I really like that. Cause I, I know in my own art, like, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to repeat those hits that were just really satisfying, but I'm also like going to bed at night and dreaming of these like entirely new things I've never tried before. And that kind of seems like the, the actual doorway of the artistic spirit. Yeah, man. Fuck your past. Like, yeah, you know, that's great. <laughs> it's great. Your style that you, the things that you've made are awesome. And, but keep going, you know, yeah. and like art is a, art in general is a conversation through time and place and history and humans and now AI and, and like, you know, why not rip off AI the same way that, it, you know, in the same way that if I'm having a conversation with you and you say something that I like the sound of, I'm going to say it again. You know, I'm going to try it on on my in like a different context. So like, I I feel like a lot of artists are um, overly attached and mm. like possessive of of uh, their whatever, their art, their style, their ideas, acting like they didn't borrow any parts from anybody like they are like fully original like come on we're all we're all like borrowing from each other all the fucking time we're all organically connected totally man and what, <laughs> you know, when i talk about how you've been like really just influential in my kind feel of feel free to rip me of... off you guys anything you want yeah. <laughs> you Take heard it. it here you heard it here folks yeah um yeah, you know, one of the things that just uh, so stands out is when you were here and I was just showing you like this old folder I had of these drawings that to me are just like so special. They're from like 15 years ago and they're like half finished. And I love you were just like, I mean, it was it was nice to impress you. That was a good ego boost. But at the same time, the part that stands out to me is you looked at it and I'm like, yeah, you know, I started this, but it's not done. And you're like, that's done. I was like, no, like the whole top half I haven't done yet. And you're like, no, it's done. Move on. I was like, he's right like these pieces are done like, you know and i yeah that's just such a, a different mentality than that kind of clinging that that you were sort of describing where we can get so wrapped up in our identities and our worth being in this like you know perfected and it could be anything it could be art it could be music it could be relationship it could be anything and when you're able to just like, yep, that was a time and place and I'm on to the next thing and I'm and I'm dancing with it. That was like a huge liberating moment for me that I didn't have to be stuck to those pieces that were unfinished. They were done. And anything is done the moment that you say it is, which yeah. is when that experimentation stops. Yeah. So, hey, Unless I want to you want to get into it and make new art with it or whatever. I mean, you know, whatever you could yeah. go back and do things, but like to have some sort of like reservation about it being like, it's not, and that, you know, that that's, that's not your, your drawing is enough. You know, your line drawing is enough. Your painting that you put 10,000 hours into is enough. That also would have been enough at 10 hours and like, but to, yeah, but to like have a, have an attachment to some like outcome that like, you know, tomorrow I'll feel better. You know, if this thing's done, if this, then I'll, then I'll feel complete. That's a fallacy. That's, that's a myth. 
Totally. And it's empowering to realize that we have the power to decide when something's done. Yeah. Like it's, it's a switch in your head and it's yours. Like no one can tell you, I don't know, like it, it, you're not trying to impress anyone at that point. It's just, you have the power to say like, yep, that's done. I'm moving on. Let it go. That's a, yeah. And that was like the genius of Bob Ross, hmm. you know, this is your world. You make a mistake, turn it into a tree. You don't like it, turn it into a bird, like whatever. This is your world and blah, blah, blah. You know, like Bob Ross had some shit right. He's he's awesome. Everybody should watch the documentary. It's powerful. <laughs> Are you a neo-Rossist? I knew it. I mean, I'm not. No. I, I see that fro starting underneath. Oh, man, I've been Bob Ross for Halloween and it was <laughs> glorious. Well, hey, I want to I want to take one little pivot because in our in our front nine, you know, I was I was kind of looking for the places where I saw like a spark in your eye or a fire. And there's a couple places when you're up on your soapbox that I, I felt it and I didn't want to trod the back nine without at least, you know, pulling on some of those threads. And the one that I want to talk about is um, uh, just your view of the world today. And again, you know, the light and shadow, like art is an interplay of light and shadow. Life is an interplay of light and shadow. And I think we, you and I, well, I don't know. Uh, I, I feel like in at least what you say, it tends towards the light. And then it was interesting to hear you talking about Ukraine and Ethiopia and like just the monstrosity of humans. And yeah, to hear you very passionately painting, you know, kind of a different picture. And so, you know, art being this tool for communication, um, I, I would like to just hear a little bit more about how you see the state of things, you know, what, what's happening in the world and what, what you think the world needs. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> it's funny, we took, we took that time in between the podcasts and uh in between the recording times and uh it's funny i felt like very vulnerable like like i thought about maybe editing some of it and i'm like no no i never oh, do no. that not doing that. <laughs> and like i'm just you know i don't know if it's like embarrassment of just like taking my heart out and setting it on the table <laughs> For everybody to to listen to and see and you know or, or or what but like you know and that and that's art like as the artist you if you're going to show people your art like you're you're like making your your self your whatever you're, you're like opening yourself up to the slings and arrows of of judgment and ideas and thought you know whatever and uh yeah so it was it was, it was wild how like that all just happened and then afterwards i was like holy shit <laughs> like that really went there didn't it and i i threw it all out there um and yeah but that's that's what art is and and it's good for me to do that because i've been throughout my my time i've i've, I've always been aware of what the art that i make says or how people could read it so i've been sort of guarded um in that way 
Um, cause I know art can be psychoanalyzed. I, even as a little kid, I knew that art could be psychoanalyzed. So I never wanted to do anything that made it possible to psychoanalyze me. Um, so I sort of like would stay on the surface with things. And this podcast has actually been a really great way for me to like push more and like make my, you know, lean into that vulnerability of art making, which is like what you, I think that's what you have to do if you really want to want people to connect if you want your art to really be powerful but yeah I was I have been very optimistic for like most of my life and just kind of like thinking that everything's all good and uh in recent years I don't know I've I've written like the last like five six seven eight years I've really dove in I guess I've never shied away from learning about the state of the world. And I've, I've been really blessed to have been able to travel a lot and see other places and experience things and be aware of other countries and people and things. And um, yeah, I've been, I guess I feel now like not as optimistic and I feel like things are really fucked up in a lot of ways and places I also believe in the ingenuity of humans and uh, the power of connection and the soul and um, healing. You know, I know that people can heal, um, but there's also so many like structures in the world that are so calcified that, that like take the human element out and and like, if you can't connect with humans in these giant structures, then they can just like crush organic reality as we know it and, and the planet and the world. And like, um, yeah, the loss of biodiversity in the last 150 years is fucking insane. Like the amount of species that have gone extinct is nuts maybe we'll be able to stop it but there's zero evidence that we as a human race are capable of it let alone like trying to do it there's a lot of people that are trying to do it but like the overall majority um aren't necessarily doing that and um yeah there's like such a weird there's this funny paradox of humanity where like we're all individuals and we all might want, you know, the, the rainforest to stay what they're, what they are. We might want, um, CO2 emissions to be cut in half and, or like way majorly curved. We, you know, we might not want all these things that are good, but then we're all part of this giant system and humanity's like, like the mass of everybody is moving in directions that we can't control. So like, you as an individual, you could, you know, live completely off grid, sustainably, all these different things be going in the right way. You can write books about it. You can do all these things. But like compared to the like 7 billion that aren't doing anything about it, aren't able to do anything about it. I mean, so many people are just trying to like feed their families and keep their house warm. So they go out and they chop down trees to do that to feed their families to keep their kids alive but 
it's like causing deforestation in Africa. Fuck. What do we do? You know, like they like people have needs. And so, you know, like what do we do about the homeless problem? That Kisa Johnson on her podcast, we talked about like the wicked problems. Wicked problems are these like problems that are fucking huge and they're super mm-hmm. dynamic. And like, what do we do? Like somebody's got to do something. If nobody does anything, then it's like we're we're in like a freight train going off a cliff. So we all have to do something, but nobody can really do like you know, everyone who's trying in their different ways, they're running into the structures that are, and they're being, you know, challenged by that. Like corporate greed is a major problem. And it's like causing a lot of, I'm hoping I'm, I'm still optimistic that maybe, you know, corporations that have fucked so much shit up um, through like pollution and like all these different things, maybe those corporations are going to have the realization that if everything's all fucked up and unstable, it's not going to be good for business. So then it's in their best interest to save the world. I think like that would be a sweet little ironic twist that, you know, no humans, no people to buy shit. Right. If the whole world is thrown off balance, then it's all fucked up. I heard a really cool podcast the other day on the daily that, um the i think it's the prime minister or someone from barbados uh is working with an economics um this like badass in economics who like spent their time in england and like uh anyway they came up with this idea okay so in in like the caribbean storms are getting bigger and they're more often every year so these little tiny countries are getting destroyed And then they have to take out loans from the World Bank to fix shit. But there's like these stipulations in all the loans because the the loan structure was created in like 1945 after World War II. So the loan structure is kind of set up. It's not set up for what's going on right now. So those countries have to decide between paying the loans back or helping their citizens of their country. And so these, and they're poor countries anyway, they don't have a big GDP. So they don't, they're not generating a lot of revenue, income, all the things. So, and I'm not an economist here, by the way, (laughs) but um, so they're just like getting battered by these, or, you know, by these big storms and then they have to take loans, but then they get buried by the loans and then they're just like fucked. And so what do they even do? And no big countries want to listen, even though the big countries are the ones that have created the situation. Mm. We, the United States, have created a huge amount of the CO2 in the fucking air, like everything. So, um, so, and no one's going to listen to Barbados. You know, if you take all the Caribbean and add up all the numbers, it's only, it's less than 1% of the world population. So no one's going to listen to that and no one want, they don't want to give a handout. So these people came up with this idea to instead join together in like a coalition, everybody from like the Tropic of Cancer to the Tropic of Capricorn. And that, if you take that band worldwide, because these are the people that are going to be most fucked up by climate change. If you take that number, that's like three and a half billion people, which is like 40% of the world. And so they're talking about doing different loan structures and banding together and like trying to um, force, you know, 
changes and it's so like it's awesome i, I think th- mm. it's really cool how they're thinking differently and i don't know where i was going with that but at least you know like it is promise there are these like glimmers of hope and there's there is promise but at the same time like uh shit looks bad mm. yeah you know i i appreciate you being vulnerable and sharing these things because it, it does strike me that these are the thoughts that we have at night when we're alone and safe in our covers. And then we go out in the world and we, you know, in a way project the, you know, the way that we want to be. And we have the the days that we want to have. And I don't know, it's comforting to hear that you're, you're also just in this place where the awareness is there of this kind of full, uh, you know, uh, spotlight or I'm sorry, floodlight kind of view of what's going on. But as a person, you know, your focus is on the relationships that you have to nurture your, your self-love, you know, the things that you have direct impact over. And you were talking, you know, the thing that actually what you said to begin with was like, humans need a consciousness change. And I feel like in your life, you've had a consciousness change, maybe describe, you know, what what that means to you what is that consciousness change yeah um i feel like it's like it it boils down to compassion for uh others and like uh which which boils down deeper to the fact that i feel like like i see the same I don't know, the same consciousness, the same energy, the same soul, the same, like the the same experience of reality in all of us and not just us, but not just humans, but animals too. Um, You know, they used to think that like animals don't have a soul and they don't think, you know, but like Nova definitely has like an experience of life. She has emotions. She has feelings and um and like down to you know you look like like a bug crawling around like they're making decisions and they're making they're like trying to survive and yeah their brain chemist their brain wiring is like way minimized you know way simplified and ours is way more complex um but like if anyone, if anyone who's ever spent like decent amounts of time around an animal of any kind, like, you know, that like they have desires, they have wants, they have feelings, they want to, you know, feel good. They don't want to feel pain. And, um, and I mean, part of it, I think is, you know, maybe, maybe a lot of these realizations I've like felt deeply have come from some drug experiences that I've had, you know, where I've like felt deep down, like compassion flooding through me. And like, like I've held gazes in people's eyes that are like soul connection. Like I see like you and you see me and it's like way deeper than you can even explain. And, um, and yeah, I, I don't know. it it sucks because i feel like by saying that and like connecting it to doing drugs it sort of like puts somebody in the same like in the boat of like oh you're just like a 
like a hippie who's like of course like all are one and we're all we're it's all love and whatnot but um that message has been loud and fucking clear to me and i felt it like deep down like through and through and when i see somebody on the street whether it's no it doesn't matter homeless person like well to do this and that man woman in between whatever the fuck like everybody's just doing the best that they can and they've all had formative experiences and they're just trying to get through the day and they're putting their pants on one leg at a time and uh you know we experience birth and life and death and we have family or people or things that we care about and want to be good and happy and like you know we look at we look at um vladimir putin you know he's this he's just the same he's just fucked up and like the the whole thing like hurt people hurt people yeah he's fucking damaged and so are tons of people who are really wreaking havoc on this planet and other people and like we need like the answer is not more war and more killing like more fighting more everything because that just creates you know these long-standing like hatreds these deep down hatreds like we need to transmute negative energy into something that's at least neutral and then from neutral you can go into positive yeah yeah i'm thinking of your your midtones right like where are the midtones yeah let's bring it back to the midtones because <laughs> <laughs> obviously this isn't working and we're just like i mean the ridiculousness of this fucking war to me is like okay what's what's putin gonna win great he gets like he gets ukraine and he's murdered and raped and pillaged like how many millions of people sweet okay well the planet's still fucked up we're still losing biodiversity we're still like everything's like going in a negative direction and now you just hate everybody and everybody hates you sweet what did you fucking win like no <laughs> it's fucking stupid and it pisses me off and yeah but again, I like <laughs> that's my soapbox. I don't want to like yeah, you know, no, man. like I, I think... know anything about anything. I'm just a guy who is like experiencing life and whatever. So yeah, but I think it's important that we just like acknowledge that we live against a backdrop that is outside of our control. And you could throw a dart at any point in the timeline of human history. And there's always been the pillaging, rapist, murderous bastards, and there's always been the human-hearted you know, equal, I don't know, like there's, there's this interplay of the dark and the light, even in human history. And, you know, I go to sleep some nights and I'm just like, I'm there and I'm just like making these like sighs and grunts and Kayla's like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, oh, I'm thinking about this like crazy thing, whatever. And, and then I get up and I just like live my day. And so I think that there is in the same way that we've been talking about, you know, art and life and there's so much about the wisdom that you have in art that you've imparted on me about kind of letting go 
and seeing things not as a like a hyper personal connection but as a i don't know an experience that is transient and you know at the end of the first half we we did talk about our friend adam and so we know that all of this all of the frustration all the joy all the sorrow all of these things like you know the the peace will be done at some point for each of us and at that point like it's just it's just it's just done like whatever was in it whatever mistakes whatever you know you don't get to go back and correct them and i i don't know for me this is something that i've been kind of grappling with because i also have this like highly optimistic spirit that we are all, all of the earth we are doing what what the earth does yet there's so much pain there's so much suffering and it feels highly personal and it's hard to see the injustice the just the absolute atrocities happening and not feel personally connected to it yet when you know brush meets canvas when shoes meet street like we're each gifted this experience with the people around us and you can you can paint all in the dark tones and just see that and be depressed and then fucking kill yourself. And a lot of people do or make things worse. And just, you're just painting with black ink over black ink over black ink. And I'm, I'm hopeful that there's enough creatives and human hearted people and people who have had drug experiences and have had that, you know, feeling of unity and oneness where you see that there's, you know, not a speck of dust that's out of place in the universe and can go out and create art and hopefully is, you know, we, we, we've gone really far into the, into the, the shadows, I think in the last hundred years, but it's always been this interplay of dark and light. And I don't know, again, you know, I say this because it's what I want to convince myself of most deeply. Like I'm aware of that. Um, but it is, it is just a fun, I don't know if it's fun, but it is, it is a place that I, I recognize that as a, as a human hearted person, there's this question of how much do you try and control and how much do you let go of? And so, yeah, it's, it's enjoyable to have a conversation like this with someone like you who has both the awareness of that, you know, big focus and also that spotlight focus of where you're creating the types of experiences that the world, that, 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 that brightens the world. So not sure how to land this plane, but I'll say that, you know, coming out to California and just seeing you and like the humans that you've collected, the, you know, those relationships and the people that you've had on the podcast, the story that you're telling, like you are painting some highlights over a lot of shit. And I guess it's, that's kind of the beauty of life is that there are enough different people to round out the composition that when it's all said and done, like may not be perfect, may not be what we wanted or hoped for, but it's at least, it's at least in some sort of balance. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful, Ryan. <laughs> you just made a masterpiece with words. Well done. <laughs> It's the whiskey. This episode brought to you by Stranahan's Blue Peak Single Malt Whiskey. <laughs> Available only in Colorado, so come hang out. Oh, I love it. I love it. 
I think I think that was great. You know, maybe instead of like thinking of it as like a plane landing, we can just sort of be a helicopter and like come yeah. back down to earth. And um, uh, one thing that just popped into my head was, uh, you know, getting back to the bright side of things. The previous episode that I released before this one was with your sweet little daughter, Hadley. You haven't released it yet, though, have you? No. Not yeah. at this, not at the point of this recording. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm going to record or I'm going to release it in the next couple of days. And then this one that we're doing will be released like a week later. And um, dude, that was fun. That was so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad that you got to have that experience. And I can't wait to hear what was said because we just, we just like gave her the microphone and we like, <laughs> left her alone. So, dude, talk about flow state. She was just. <laughs> Like, it was so funny because she was, like, kind of buttoned up for a little bit trying to be, like, you know, answer the questions right. And um, and then after a little while, I think she got kind of bored and then got goofy. And then she was just, <laughs> like, it was, like, doing an interview with a butterfly. <laughs> like, it was so awesome. And she'd be talking about one thing and then like bounce across the room to the other side and be like, oh, and then this. And then like, and it was just like, it was so perfect. It was, it was exactly what, um, what it should have been. That's awesome. And yeah, like, you know, I like that segue because, you know, having children, it shows you so clearly how cyclical the human experience is. And it's amazing to me that children can be born into affluence in a penthouse or on a trash heap. And there's something about the human spirit that will just show up and fucking throw down and just play. And even when there's structure, even when there's oppression, even when there's all of these things, like the next generation like starts over with that, that playfulness and that like imagination. And when I see Hadley, like, yeah, she's, she's just here to express whatever it is that is beyond our ability to define it. And I know over time, like, you know, more is going to be put on her and she's going to kind of find her way into adulthood. But like, that's that renewing process that humans have always had that have endured the fall of Rome, that have endured ice ages and famines and plagues and all of this shit. And like each generation bounces back with this just artistic fire. Right. And it's, I don't know. It's hopeful. It is. It is hopeful. And that's like where we can really like feel that optimism that like it's a yeah, it's a continually renewing energy source um, of like the human spirit. You know, kids are not born racist. Kids are not born like any kind of phobic, any kind of anything like they just they just are. And so like we can, you know, as like these, as I don't know, if like negative elements in humanity can just die off and not be renewed. And we like then the the youth and like kids will will be coming in and like there's just that innocence, that purity. Like so yeah, that's I mean, that's kids are like definitely an optimistic bright mm. spot to everything it reminds me of um 
again, there's so many things that I like quote that I don't actually have direct knowledge of, but like I heard something about it and then it was meaningful to me. So there's this thing from Nietzsche that I haven't read, but it's, I think it's called the transformation, transformation of the spirit. And it talks about how, um, as we grow, we kind of move through these different animals. And when you're when you're young, you're like a camel and it's about like shouldering this load and, uh, you know, society is like putting all of these expectations on you and you, you kind of like grow strong under that load and the, the heavier, the load, the more stronger, the lion that you eventually transform into. And then that lion goes out and its job is to like kill this dragon. And that dragon on every scale of the dragon is a thou shalt. And it's like the whole structure of society that's telling you like who you are, who you're supposed to be, like what the system is, like that conformity principle. And the lion goes out and kills the dragon eventually. And then in a way, like becomes that next dragon, becomes that next system. But there's always, you know, the the camels coming up and there's the dragons. And so, I don't know, I, I see as we talk about uh, in Colorado here, we just passed a bunch of legislation about psychedelics and access for adults. And, you know, I have friends that are actually taking trainings in um, psychedelic therapy. And it's not a silver bullet by any stretch, but it, it feels like the, the kind of cycling of humans is that there, there becomes these rigid structures, those dragons, those thou shalt's. And it's like a time of energy. And, you know, the, the United States kicked ass for, you know, 50, 60 years and created all of this, I don't know, new patterns and form, but eventually it becomes stale and stagnant and it has to be kind of uh, rebelled against in a way. And so there's like that, you know, in the sixties, there was a whole revolution that kind of happened. And then I, I feel like today there's another type of revolution that's happening in the minds of more and more people and it's messy and it's dynamic and it's um, yeah, it's, it's really unstructured and those will eventually create the next structures, but it, it seems kind of built into the human happening that, you know, it's not a coincidence that all of these substances and experiences are kind of showing up right when those old structures are really threatening our existence. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And that's, that's when like a lot of plants show up, you know, like Haley's an herbalist. I've learned a lot about mm. herbalism and plants and things. And like, um, there are all these plants that will, will grow when the soil is polluted, you know, mushrooms will grow when there's like an oil spill and they will transmute that that oil and then the the mess and then like process it they process like decay and then like bring it back to to becoming good again it's like a process of renewal and health and yeah like that is definitely when you zoom out and you look at it metaphorically like this whole shit is fucked up and there's a lot of things, <laughs> a lot of things are decaying and need to be renewed um in a new fresh way yeah one of my favorite movies is i heart huckabees yeah yeah and there's a great line there where he says no manure no magic (laughs) 
And it's so funny that magic mushrooms grow on cow shit. Right. And in a way, like I, I think Kayla and I were having this conversation that like, in a way, like, yeah, things are so fucked up, but there's so much beauty that is like blossoming from that shit pile. Yeah. And if we can see ourselves as these little mushrooms, like we can't deny the shit. You can't pretend it's not there. You can't just like bury your head in the sand, but you can just like take that energy, take that anger, take that passion and turn it into color, turn it into connection and conversation. And that's like, we're all just these little magic mushrooms on top of a huge pile of shit. <laughs> that's the way it's always been. I like that. <laughs> you might be a mushroom, folks. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, well. Oh man, I, I just want to probably say, call it. Yeah, that. I was gonna say congratulations on a hundred episodes. It is an amazing expression of your creative spirit. And I am yeah, I'm honored to be here and, and share this moment with you. Oh thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. And uh yeah, thanks for being here with me. You're on a, quite the journey yourself, and it's really awesome to watch and I'm really, I feel honored to be a part of it. And uh, fuck, man, I'm excited to see where everything goes in in one year, three years, five years, 10, like just keep going. And that that's, that's how things organically grow into amazing things. Well said, brother. All right, well, let you get back to your night, but this has been the season finale of the Art and Life podcast with your guest host, Ryan Stover, and our very <laughs> special guest, Taylor Gallegos. And all of you, keep making your magic. Hell yeah. Cheers. Cheers. Well, that, my friends, was the season finale for season three of the Art and Life podcast with Taylor Gallegos. Co-hosted, guest hosted by Ryan Stover. That was, that was fucking great. I thought he did fantastic. Don't you agree? I was, I was telling him that uh, it was really cool how... I thought he was a very great interviewer in that he would like take what I just said and then sort of like, uh, you know, embrace it, break it down, think about it. He'd sort of turn it over and then like toss it back to me, um, you know, toss a softball to me and uh, kind of reminded me of like when you juggle a soccer ball with someone who's really good at it because um, they always just sort of like set you up you know they like pass it to you in a place that's like really easy to handle and then you just take it from there and do your thing so that was great great job ryan thanks man um yeah this is fun i'm definitely having a good time with this like sort of structure of the flow of a season where it's like i interview everybody the whole way through and then um turn it around and i sit in the hot seat at the end and uh yeah <laughs> kind of uh yeah kind of like left it all out on the field on that one <laughs> if you're still listening at this point in the podcast i gotta say kudos to you 
well done this is a super long one and uh we've gone all across the board and yeah sometimes i think about how like as an artist we 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 sort of we're like we're our own little sacrificial lamb you know we like sacrifice we give our our thoughts our feelings our emotions our experiences everything to uh to the collective you know for digestion for rumination for processing you know and and like we see ourselves in other people's challenges and struggles and traumas and learning experiences so we as the artist we're like throwing ourselves out there as the art which then in turn gets experienced um from the viewer the experiencer's perspective and it's that's like the beautiful cycle like the beautiful relationship of it all and um and that's humanity <laughs> you know <laughs> we're all just sort of like kicking our experiences off of each other all the time and having new experiences and throwing that out there and, and so on and so forth <laughs> uh i hope that you had a great time this season um I hope that you enjoyed all the interviews. I learned a ton this season that and um oh my god, I'm looking forward to next season. There's like all these little upgrades that I'm doing to all the different processes of it all. You'll see. If you listen to this regularly, you'll see, you'll notice the differences and um you know, just fine tuning. It's always just like experimenting and then fine tuning and keeping on going. So yeah got a ton of awesome awesome interviews lined up for this next season um i'm ready i'm just ready to go i'm not even taking a break this time in the past i've taken a break for the first like two or three months i'm not doing that i'm just going right in <laughs> january we're gonna start incorporating some live interviews in front of a studio audience that's gonna be awesome i'm looking at expanding in uh in like well in all sorts of ways i'm not going to tell you about it because i don't want to tell you about it right now we're just gonna you're just gonna have to follow along and find out and um yeah and as always i mean i'm i just imagine all the awesome things that you the listener are doing in your life and uh you know i know there's all these like things that i will never know about but i know are happening creative expression creative experimentation um you know ways that you know you're doing awesome things in the world and the way that you're affecting the world in positive ways if you're listening to this podcast i know that you are you're a creative soul and um with that good things good things come out of it <laughs> and and uh yeah i guess I guess that's it. Thanks for listening everybody. I love you. <laughs> it's true though. You guys are all fucking awesome. I love you very much. And uh yeah, that's it. That's it. Cheers. <laughs>